They're all here. The divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me. I'm David Goldberg. These are the luminaries. This time, comedian, cartoonist, and unlimited mega-hyphenate Max Witter talks about his show, Portrait of the Artist Seated with Grapes, on tour this February. I hope you enjoy. We're recording. Max Witter, welcome to the podcast. This is... I'm sorry, I was just swallowing uh, La Croix Pure. The name of this flavor, of this non-flavor is Pure. Yeah, it's the best one. It's my only, it's my last indulgence. This is so funny. I have literally never had a LaCroix that was, is my microphone fucked up? Am no, I it's too fine. Close? You're fine, too you're close. fine. Just, okay. yeah, yeah, don't even. Okay. I've never had a LaCroix that was not like, hibiscus tangerine. I know. Or like, <laughs> ha- pomelo. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> Innocent. Wait, when I was in Israel, I had this for <laughs> um, birthright. I was like, at this, I was in Tel Aviv. And I went to this. Wow, I'm really just hitting the ground running. I went to this juice stand because you can Mm. drink in public there, right? Mm -hmm. Drink on the street. So I went there with this friend that I had made on the trip. And we had like a bottle of vodka that we were like sort of just like keeping in our bag. And our intention was to go to this juice shop, get some juice, and then combine it and then like walk out or whatever. Um, And the guy behind the counter was like truly so strange. Like, I really liked him, but he was, like, I want to say, like, 27, had, like, big headphones on, like, saggy jeans, but he was wearing, like, briefs under his jeans, so he had, like, a like sliver of skin showing between Ooh, the jeans and the yeah. briefs. But he wasn't, like, hot, no, hot. No, no. It was just, like, but it was, a, it was a little bit. He was sort of, like, you know when you can just tell someone is, like, a really bad DJ? It was, like, that kind of thing. But anyway, so I don't speak Hebrew. He didn't speak amazing English. What I wanted was grapefruit juice. So I was like, do you have grapefruits here? Because it was, it was the kind of juice stand where he just like clearly could like make whatever. Right. And, and he was like, grapefruit? Or <laughs> and I was like, yeah, uh, grape, grapefruit? And he was like, he was like acting really confused. And eventually he just like went underneath the counter. Because I was like, grapefruit seemed like a really generic thing. Right. But he went under the counter, picked out a bunch of grapes and just started like plucking grapes off and putting them in a blender. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I looked around and I saw a grapefruit like hanging in the window. And I was like, that. And he was like, oh, pomelo. And he like started like, and then he like grabbed some pomelo or whatever and like started blending it up. And, and we were just like chatting with him a little bit in some broken way and and we were talking about how we intended to, like, make a mixed drink to carry around. And he was like, and we like, and he like saw our vodka or something. He was like, oh, and he like took it away from us and just like poured it into his blender and like made us like a blended Ooh. cocktail. <laughs> and we were like, okay, great. This guy's awesome. <laughs> Gave him some shekels and went on our way. Uh, I cannot believe that they still use <laughs> shekels. shekels. It's it's incredible. It's defiant. I love it. It makes me feel like I'm in a Zelda game. Uh, yes. You know what I mean? And some of them are like um, hectagonal, I think, like the aguro, yes. which are basically like the scents. Yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, the whole thing, Israel it's is so, like a video game so country because it's ago. like so yeah. new and it's like so interrupted. So a lot of it it's is It's so new random. and so ancient and so holy and so like also sacrilegious right. <laughs> in so many ways. So it's like it does feel almost like a Final Fantasy game where it's like all of these like 
influences coming into one place and it's like too baroque or something. Right, exactly. And like the language doesn't fully make sense because like Hebrew was is a disused language that right. they like revived basically. So it's extremely like broken in yeah. this like kind of fabulous way. Yeah, yeah. And my dad's thing, like my dad and I always laugh when we're there because like the public art in <laughs> the public art in Tel Aviv is I'm hideous. Yes. It's it's so yeah. bad. It's yeah. there's no taste level. I, know. I mean that's kind of what yeah. is it, Tel Aviv is. It's like it is fashion and it is fabulous, but there is this like absolute lack of taste. Have you been to the Jewish Museum here? I know that's a crazy yes. question. Okay. No, it's- Did you have the same experience that I had where I went to one of the floors, I looked around at like all the chinoiserie that was around and I was like, why am I just in my aunt's <laughs> den? This is so weird. Jewish taste level is so, so strange. It's so weird. There's so, it's so weird. I don't. Like, do you ever just like, do you ever just like look at a painting, like an abstract painting that just has like blue swirls in it or something, and you're like, why is this painting Jewish? Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't know if you had this growing up where you'd go to your like affluent friends' houses and their moms would like have gone wild with the art, and it's like this is far, far, far beyond yes, any thresholds. Not of taste, but of like cohesion. It's yeah, yes, it's like yes, it's truly it's swirly like figment creatures and like yes, what totally. happened? Or like a statue made of like like wheat pasty gauzy globs that sort of form like a person reaching out yes. towards like some insane stained glass thing that they've yes. like put in the same room next to yeah, like a painting that's like that's like not even on like a like rectangular canvas. It has like <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, they, it, it's just. An insane hodgepodge. And there's always, like, little, like, glass beads or something hanging from some, like, <sighs> you know, mantle. I don't... It's No, you're it's right. Cr- I'm thinking of crazy. my synagogue gift shop growing up, and a lot of it was, like, what the fuck does yes. this have to do with anything? And yeah. it's interesting because I've been having a parasite experience the last few months because I've been tutoring um, very, very wealthy children. And many of them are third-generation immigrants from, like... Uh, more like Asian or Indian families. And with that, I've observed, this is not necessarily true of everyone. What I've observed with extremely wealthy, like second generation immigrants is they either like cleave to the culture they came from or completely disavow Mm. it. So like you'll go into these apartments that are totally sterile of any uh, heritage or aesthetic, which is a choice, and it kind of is great because you go into these like slate gray, just like nothing apartments. Some Jews yeah. do this like <laughs> in between shit that's like has nothing to do with the past and nothing to do with anything. It's like New York Italians. It's the same kind yes. of thing where it's just like I'm Italian, and it's like what from where <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know? Or Boston Irish, too. Yeah. Yes, completely. It's the same. I think it's the same kind of thing. Also, I've been processing this idea of, like, you know how people are always, like, where did your ancestors come from? Or, like, mm. you know, like, like where are you from? What's your history? And it's, like, you know what? My ancestors just left. I know. They left the place they came from for a reason. <sighs> they. I don't care. You know, I don't I know. care. I don't care that my family is, like, from Lithuania or whatever. It's like, 
No, I don't even, I don't feel like I need to make a pilgrimage back. They left for a fucking reason. Thank you. I find the whole, like, 23andMe thing so bourgeois because I'm just like, well, they kicked us out, so I'm not yeah. going to, like, ever reconnect with, like, good old grandpapa who grew up in Ludge, Poland because there's that that arm has been singed off. Yeah, you can know? you imagine me setting foot in Lithuania in, like, <laughs> in, like next to the Vitorti River or something, clutching the soil in my fist and just sobbing? It's like... <laughs> I, like rem- like feeling what was lost in like in the yeah. soil of this land. I who cares? I know. Who, literally, who cares? And they didn't want us. And I'm not having children. <laughs> you hear? <laughs> Take that. Take that, ancestors. I'm cutting us off here. I love. I love. Mind. I mean, I. You always thought I was going to move back to Tel Aviv because I did always feel like with nightlife there, what I did love was that no one could ever take anything too seriously because, like, it's Tel Aviv. It's not mm. New York, so it's a joke. So, like, let's kind of have fun. That part I always What do you loved. mean by it's a joke? Like, like you mean, like, this is, like, tenuous land that could just, like, be taken away at any time or something? That, and yeah. also it's, like... I mean, I know that Tel Aviv's part of the circuit now. I don't know. I just feel like sometimes with fashion or nightlife in New York, obviously, like, there's a reason, but people take themselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about Tel Aviv was this admission of, like, we are not celebrated for our taste. We are not, like, uh-huh. no one is calling us, like, arbiters of anything. So, uh-huh. like, let's just throw a party and it'll be fun. Right. Or whatever, you know? Right, right, but right, right. I don't know. Maybe that's changed. Maybe it's more sterilized now. They, I mean... They export some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess it's just like part of the circuit now. I'm just thinking. What do you of mean like, by part of the circuit? You mean like the gay circuit? It's part of the gay circuit, right? Now that it's like a pink washed industrial. There was a complex. really cute gay bar that I went to there. There was like the whole thing was just like steps going up. Oh shit! Do you know what I'm talking about? I do know. And the guy that was our bartender was also actually the like a flight attendant on our flight. Amazing. Isn't that incredible? Amazing. He was like, I recognize you guys. All flight attendants are gay and all flight attendants are Israeli. Always. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I've never not had that. Yeah. (sighs) Also, he let us tag in the bathroom. We did a bunch of, like, tagging in the bathroom. What's tagging? Like, you know, like, graffiti. Oh, I love that. I was doing a lot of graffiti in Tel Aviv. Okay. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) How old are you? Twenty-eight. <laughs> you went on Bush on uh, not yeah Bushwick. I went on Bushwick. <laughs> Bushwick birthright. Yeah, I, you were twenty-eight. I do yeah, yeah. That's isn't that incredible? Wild? I know. You must so, have hated it. Oh, absolutely. That, and, uh, I was completely lucid through the entire experience, yeah. and and so profoundly alienated from everybody that I was with, except for like this one guy who was like really, really depressed, and like, and I didn't know until like. He got really, really drunk towards the end of her trip, but was, like, struggling with, like, his bisexuality. Of course. I know, I, I know. know. <laughs> Which, of course, made me want to kiss him. Of know. course. Yeah. No, I love that. I guess I... Have I told you about this Venn diagram of attraction that I have? Okay. Okay, so imagine a Venn diagram with three circles, where one of them is depressed, one of them is a um, musician, and one of them is bisexual. And I'm basically attracted to where any overlap between the... So it can be all three or just two of them. Depressed musician, bingo. Depressed bisexual, bingo. 
Bisexual musician, bingo, all three, absolutely. Bisexual musician, that's really dark. (laughs) (laughs) For the listeners out there, David just gave me, like, the most honed eye contact. I just always reserve, like, musicians for women. I'm always like, that's your lot in life. Like, you're a straight woman, you have to suffer through that. Oh, no, no, I never thought that that's something we had to deal with. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Oh, I absolutely had to. Oh, yeah. My first boyfriend in New York was, like, yeah, like a... Basically a straight acting bassist. Wow. I didn't Everyone know Everyone is shook right There's now. like a dark underground I didn't know about. A dark underground to Max? Or, or yeah, in I, New York? I didn't know that yeah. there were like any queer musicians. Ever. Oh, I know. I know. Well, we're not near any of them. They I know. completely exist. I know. Yeah. Write us in. Uh, call <laughs> us and let us know Same what your like, measurements are. Um, Like tattoo artists? Oh, I yeah. know. I know plenty of them. I just feel like, you know, when I'm talking with, like, some of the girls at the mm-hmm. restaurant I work mm-hmm. at, mm-hmm. when I hear about, like, the men that they are interacting with, I'm like, oh, that is just so not in my line of contact of, like, oh, oh he's, like, a tattoo artist. Like, we flared it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I Okay, no. you're right about that. You're there are, there are, like, queer tattoo artists, but it's not that kind of thing. Yeah, same with musicians yeah. and skateboarders. <laughs> skateboarders. Don't even get me started uh, on, <laughs> on skateboarders. I had a joke that I was doing for a while on stage that just never quite hit right, but it was basically like, I. The joke was basically, I fucking hate skateboarders. They're they're always moving way too quick for me to get a good look at their ass or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they have. That's the other thing. I feel like women have to like manage and reconcile with like sad asses and men. Gay men, it's like asses are like front and center, but women, it's like which is kind of a problem for me, as we discussed this yeah, week. I, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with with my personal ass. <laughs> the, it's the ass scary that is how reserved it for me. Yeah, yeah, it's scary how it can change in a person's life. But also maybe positive that it can change. Yes, no, you're yeah, right. you're right. Yeah, because yeah, I I, I had a lot of lost years with mine. Yeah, through my twenties. This maybe this sh- I, this should be a standing podcast. You need a standing desk for the I think I want to do the... All right, we'll talk about it after. Okay, okay. Um. (laughs) I know. We could spiral into a 45-minute discussion on just, like, what to do about this. (laughs) So let's move on to our first topic. Okay, so uh, I do want to talk about um, Portrait of the Artist, Seated with Graves. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is kind of... You're about to take it on tour, Chicago, yes. L.A., and Philadelphia, correct? correct. Are you going to do it in New York again? I will, but probably not on this tour. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm probably sh- going to do it in, like, March or something. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. So you did it in October the first time, right? Se- early September. Early September. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Right, right, right. Yeah. It was Virgo season. Um <laughs> I recall. I okay. intentionally made it. <laughs> I made it such. So you did it in early September. It's like the most. Okay, well, let's preface this. Like, I'd say of like of the five most gifted people I've ever met, Max is in the top five. And like, I've I've met few other people who like have so many gifts from God and who figured them all out. Um, so the show I felt like was such a good showcase of many of them, where you were able to do like cartoon visual art on a narrative storytelling through comedy at all. So I'm just curious, like, um, 
Well, first to begin, the show in September, like, what was the process of building it and and constructing it? And, like, what it, because I don't know anyone else who does this. Right. Okay. So, to give anybody who's listening who doesn't know (laughs) what I do, uh, an idea. Um, Basically, the show is an hour, a little more than an hour of, um, like, illustrated comedy. Mm -hmm. So, it's like a series of, like, almost a thousand (laughs) drawn slides. Uh, alongside my storytelling and and comedy bits or whatever that I just sort of like flip through as I'm uh, as I'm going through through the bits. I've been doing that for basically my entire comedy quote unquote <laughs> career or whatever. Uh, I actually the first ones that I did I did for uh, an open mic that Lorelai Ramirez used to host called Do Something. This is like. F- Five years, five six years ago, or something Whoa. like that. Um, and it was at this place called Tandem. I don't know if you remember Tandem, no. but it was in the back of Tandem, a, a, like an amazing bar and bush that was like a pillar of the community that got taken away from us in like 2014 or something. But anyway, so they used to do this open mic where yeah, you could just do whatever and. I would occasionally do these bits where I did, I like projected my illustrations along with like jokes, and that was like a good format for me. I did more stuff like that over the years. Usually, my sets traditionally have been like split between stand up comedy <clears throat> and then doing like a visual bit mm. and trying to sort of, uh, what's the word, like rationalize those two for like coexistence for coexisting with each other and um you know because when I first moved to New York I was like I'm gonna be an illustrator I'm gonna like go to New York and get an illustration community and uh you know and develop as an artist and you know get gigs or whatever illustration is an incredibly hard career path it is illustrators have been paid the same like number rate for jobs since basically the 70s so the field just keeps losing money it's incredibly undervalued and and isolating and and as it turns out there is no community because it is intrinsically an act that requires you to be alone and working so it was very hard for me to find a community i eventually developed some semblance of a community i have friends who are illustrators but that took a really long time eventually i started doing stand-up comedy and that was something that i knew throughout my life that I was going to do. I'm sorry, I'm giving you the most long-winded answer. No, 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 no. This is all going to be the mosaic. So when I was like eight years old or something, I was like, I had this, I remember having this thought to myself, which was, if all else fails, I'll just do stand-up comedy. Wow. Um, Which is hysterical on several levels because, A, the idea that I can fall back on something so incredibly <laughs> unreliable. And B, that my backup plan is so many other people's dream, dream, dream. And also that the thought, like, so I think it didn't even, I, I don't even think it enters a lot of people's minds at that age that stand-up comedy is even a career. But because my father was a stand-up comedian and actor and mm. writer, it was just always in my orbit. Amazing. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll just do the family business if all else fails, basically. So... So, like, you know, I was always sort of suppressing comedy in lieu of doing art stuff because 
that's sort of what I was more like lauded for growing up, I think. And mm-hmm. what I sort of got attention for, it was art was always a way of like earning people's respect. You know, a cool, like being like a totally lame, fat, like gay loser. And then having like a cool kid look over your shoulder and see that you're drawing like a really well rendered like anime girl with huge tits, mm-hmm. then they can, and then them being like, "Whoa, that's fucking awesome! Wait, this guy's cool!" You know, like that's it was like such incredible social currency. Yeah. So of course, went to art school, <laughs> moved to New York, came here, started doing illustration, but then eventually was like, I remember hitting this wall where I was like, if I don't start doing comedy right now, I will never forgive myself. So I just, like, started doing stand-up comedy. And so I was basically, for a period, I was, like, an illustrator that did stand-up on the side. And there was slowly this, like, this, like, balancing act that started to occur where, like, comedy kept coming up from behind while illustration became, like, more and more fraught um, for me. Uh, illustration Illustration was incredibly fraught. Because I was, like, trying to depend on it for my future and for my career and really wanting to make something of it and struggling with it. And meanwhile, I was doing comedy, which was all fun, all pleasure. I wasn't depending on it for, like, a future at all, really. And then they sort of, like, came to be side by side. It's crazy. This is—you're one of the only people who I think has ever— been able to put this into words because I feel like the last my 20s was something similar of me being like I'm supposed to be a comic book writer period and right, story right every comic convention I went to I hated I I would think in my yeah. head like I don't like these people this yeah. is not fun there's uh, this does this isn't work like this doesn't feel like me and then I would – when I started going to like gay comedy stuff in New York, I was like, well, why is this like so fun and like why is this right. so easy? What right. – I don't even know what this is. Like the I really struggled with the, the ambiguity because like I assume like with il- illustrating, you're like I'll do this and then this and then this, this, this and like that's just going to be my life. No, it's so much more nebulous. And that, yeah, yeah with, with this, it's like – I don't even know what the scene is. I don't even yeah. know what I don't even know what I'm supposed to do here. And like, for me, it, it's it has been and it is so, like you said, fraught of like reconciling like what I viewed as like my destiny and my currency with like maybe this other thing that might actually be make me happy. I don't know. Well, that's the thing too is that like you know I came to New York thinking oh I'm gonna make this like illustration community. I want an artistic community. Mm doesn't happen because that the practice of illustration is intrinsically solitary whereas the comedy community is intrinsically community focused because yeah. you have to be together in order for it to happen yeah so i ended up really quickly developing an illust- i mean a um, comedy community and like bonds and this sense of like collaborative you know uh, growth with people Anyway, cut forward to, like, you know, I'm doing these illustrations in my bits, uh, you know, in, like, in, like in, my, in my stand-up comedy. For a while, I was like, okay, these illustrated bits hit way harder than my stand-up, mm-hmm. which, means, which means I'm a weak stand-up. So I'm going to abandon it completely. Of course. So for, like a, like, a year, year and a half, I, like, stopped doing 
my illustrated bits all together and was like, I need to become a stronger stand-up. So I just did like regular stand-up for a while and it was okay. You know, I think I did perfectly reasonably well. Yeah. Um, but then after a year or so, it occurred to me, I'm like, wait, why? So I'm, let me get this straight. I'm feeling stagnant in my comedy. I'm suppressing this, like, this other thing that I want to be doing, which is drawing and art and, like, aestheticizing what I'm doing. And also, wait a second, those bits hit fucking hard. Mm. Why am I... It's like, let me get this straight. I did something that was working really, really well and abandoned it because it was going well. Right. Which is like, as it turns out, is the theme. We can talk about it with Gene and Scott. Yeah. But anyway. And then you're also, there's this thing of like, and I'm forcing myself out every night to stay out late performing this thing that I don't care about necessarily. Yeah. Or that is not completely, honestly, like me or like not true to like my process. So... Then I was like, wait a second, actually, maybe it makes sense for me to stand out for what I'm good at and, like, what makes me me and what makes me unique, (laughs) you know? And so I'm like, okay, great. So I set out to make this, like, solo show. And the third of the show is, like, stuff that I had already developed over the years. And then the other two-thirds is basically new stuff, quote-unquote new stuff. I left myself, I think, a month, month and a half to write everything Mm -hmm. and then I left myself two weeks to draw it all because I knew that the drawing part would come very easy to me and it would be able and and I knew that I could kind of zone out while I was doing it right because it's a lot of just like like color by numbers if I know what the writing is and and I knew that it had to be like really well written And if I felt weak about the writing, I would feel weak about the performance and I would feel weak about the drawing. And the writing really does need, like, a lot more breathing room and yeah. nebulous time of, like— It does. I, I had yeah. that with the solo show of, like, I yeah. need several weeks to just be smoking pot and, like, watching Buffy and not having, a like, a limit on what comes out. You just need, like, space. The, yeah, the problem that I found that I think you were struggling with, too, yeah. is when, when you are writing something— you have to do two things at two different times. <laughs> you have to be playful and let your mind roam and be an artist, and then you have to be an editor. And I think a problem occurs when you start off with being an editor. Yes. And you're like, what is this? What is the outline? How is it going to turn? You know, like, what's going to happen? Let me try to edit this before it's written. You know, and that happens to me, and that's when I sort of, like— get in my own way. Totally. Whereas, like, you actually, yeah, as you said, you need to let your mind roam. You need to feel a sense of play, which requires a sense of, like, safety and ease, a.k.a. free time and free space and free thought. I also like what you were saying about, like, uh, the communal reactivity aspect about doing comedy because, like, when I lived in L.A. during my failed screenwriter years, I also... (laughs) Can you imagine? It was really hard because, okay, I had, like, a screenwriter's group that met once a week and we'd read each other's stuff. But it was like, I'm writing this shit, this dribble. I don't know what's – it's likely nothing will ever happen with it. And I'm supposed to, like, console myself with, like, the nobility of the act of the artistry or whatever bullshit. And – 
I have found with this world, and this is also a New York thing, and this is, like, a thing with being able to put up a solo show in a city that, like, supports that, unlike, like, L.A. theater or whatever. Like, there was this sense of, like, okay, well, my friends are going to buy a ticket to come see me, and I can, like, do whatever I want, and I'm going to get feedback. And because I've put a date on the calendar, something will be done, and then we're just going to go from there. And, like, Mm -hmm. that has spurred me to do way more even last year when I was working on my fantasy novel, which I stopped, it it did what it always does, which it, it kind of languished in, like, isolation and silence. Mm-hmm. And there is something – I always wondered, like, with all the comic book artists I ever met where I was like, you must be miserable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I understand, I like, the solitude's beautiful. I, I've, I, I loved that process, too, of, like, just the writing and being alone. But, like, there is something nice about, like – oh, my friend is putting up their solo show or, like, my friend is doing their new act. I want to go see it, and then that's going to inspire me because I have a date coming up. Like, I like that momentum. For me, it really helped me keep going. But also, I mean, as artists, like, and as a writer, writers or whatever, like, we are making work for a reason. It is not just for ourselves. Even though people can say that all they want, the fact is, is that, like, if everyone on Earth disappeared and it was just you like how much like artwork would you actually be making maybe maybe you would be making a fair amount but like for me i would maybe just like paint rocks right and like arrange rocks or something right you know for like my own sense of just like organization because right i mean you know whatever art is just like this like way of like organizing but it has to (laughs) It need no. It needs like, but it needs an audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah it, it it needs an audience because it's yeah. It's like this like yeah. It's like it's a, it's a communication. So the show itself, the other thing also like literally yeah. like even like the act of like writing, especially writing is literally putting your thoughts into words, and it's like there there's no point of language even existing exactly. if there aren't other people. Exactly. So yeah, because <laughs> like my uh, my favorite part of. In some sounds ways, like my fight. favorite. It sounds part like I'm of, fighting someone right now, and there's no one here that's opposing me. No, I love <laughs> yeah. That. Like I love any genesis of any project I've ever done. The best part is usually being on the train, stoned, and like having the idea in my head and like bouncing it around. Mm-hmm. But that's not for anyone but me, and that's great. But eventually, like if I want it to be real and tangible, it does have to enter some relationship with. Don't like, you kind of how feel, is this going to be received? Don't you kind of feel like that excitement? But that excitement is is the i is the projected idea of like putting it in front of people, kind of. Like when I get excited about a new idea, I think a big part of it is I'm excited because I'm excited to share it with people. Mm. And the trick is not sharing it with people until it is made. I guess I feel like for because, me, lest you lest you blow your load basically before right, which has always been a problem for me. I guess I Amen. feel like yeah, same. I started escaping into fictional worlds when I was like eight, and I would just it was my way of like leaving reality. And like whenever I'm coming up with like a new fantasy world in my head, it is. What do you mean by escape? kind of for me? 
What do you mean by escaping into fantasy worlds? Like, I always thought I was going to be writing, like, fantasy novels and comic books because, like, that's where my mind goes into mm-hmm. these, like, made-up worlds in my head. And it always has when I was a kid and I would just, like, either be walking my dog or I'd be, like, walking in circles in the backyard just, like, in this, like, other land. And I still feel like I do that. And last year when I was trying to, like, write a fantasy novel, I think a part of the reason it didn't work is because it wasn't really in relationship with, like, the world. It was just, like, another place for me to go. And it, like, I don't know that it – because it's not being presented, I think it dies. It sounds like you were an eight-year-old, right? Right, but at some point, like, I have to not be an eight-year-old anymore. Why? I mean, you yeah. I don't know. I, I <laughs> No, you're right. I, you're right. I think I think everybody needs, like, a sense of play. Right. Yeah. Maybe, I, I might be reading into this too much, no. but it's, it sounds sort of like you're pejoratively talking about being an eight-year-old escaping into fantasy worlds where, like, I think that, to me, that just sounds like a child's brain. And if you're able to, like, maintain a sense of play in your life now that seems to me like a very clear asset and not, like, a problem. I guess where it gets fraud, and this is what I'm trying to figure out, is, like, when it becomes, like, well, this is the thing I want to do. This is going to be my career. Like, why won't the world understand it? And then it, it becomes, like, well, am I making, like, art for the world or am I just continuing to, like create these little castles that I can climb into alone and shut the door. And like, I think there's always going to be a conflict there. And I guess what was nice about doing the solo show was it was not that Mm -hmm. there was more of like a literalistic aspect and it was, yeah, like built with an audience reaction in mind, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I guess. That was was a great show, by the way, David. Thank you. You did a really good job. I was really, you and I, you and Ruby were two of the people where I was like, I hope they like it, and I hope it's like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I hope they like it. So yeah, I'm, we had I'm a great really t- we had a great time. There. Okay, yeah. good. Um, anyways, um, the other thing that I admired about your show was like it was extremely meticulously put together because of the art. Like you can't really go off. Like you have to. Yeah, it has to be really layered and structured. And I was wondering about that process once the writing and the art was done of like getting it like perfect. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about control, which is like a whole thing. And you for love me. And, Janet and Jackson. We love. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, you just reminded me that there was something that I wanted to talk to you about okay. regarding Janet Jackson in this podcast. Okay. But we can talk about it. Okay, in a minute, I'm making maybe. a note. We make a note. Forget. Make a note. Make a note. Okay. Um. Anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, I struggle a lot with. I think I think a lot of I think a lot of comedians struggle with control, right? Totally. I mean, that's the act of like going in front of people and like making them laugh and controlling the environment and the atmosphere in a room is like inherently sort of like a crazy like control freak thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, and I am so I I'm so like like iron grip like I need to like have everything go right I'm like not a great improviser because it can take me a little while to like loosen up um you know I do acknowledge that in my show though in so much as like I have a few parts where I have pieces I have a few pieces that are not illustrated where I basically just go on rants to the audience you know about you know the bells or like or like fast casual food or whatever you know like I have like these few little bits 
that I interspersed to sort of break it up a little bit because I acknowledge that like seeing someone have like an iron grip on like <laughs> on like you know, like controlling people's focus for the whole time can be a little bit unnerving. So I want to make sure that people feel loosened up at key moments. And I also try to like do more surprising bits like interspersed. Yeah. I try to surprise people from, you know, throughout the show. Um, But yeah, I mean, most of the show is literally scripted. I'm reading. Right. And I'm showing my art you know, alongside it. So, yeah, I don't... What was the question again? <laughs> Just, no, I'm, I mean, yeah, I don't mean to, like, literalize the entire process, but no, I, okay. I, I'm just, like... Because even my solo show, which is very bare bones, and it's just me with a script and then some music cues, I was like, this is too, like, there's too much tech. Uh, like, there, mm-hmm. my show, which was so nothing, I was like, it's too much tech, like, it's too much structure, like, things are going to go wrong, blah, 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 blah. Oh, Your yeah, show yeah. was like way next level because like you have the art you have the script and like you have your dynamic with the audience and like i was just so dazzled by like how seamless it was oh thank you and yeah maybe that just comes from you like working on it and there's no like explanation of that you just like worked very hard i worked yeah i worked on it for a a long time and also you know i had like years of practicing certain bits in it over and over and i had the experience of Dividing my time between, like, on stage between, like, illustrated bits and, and you know, classic stand-up stuff. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I was very, I'm always extremely, extremely conscious of pacing, mm. which for me comes from, like, writing comics. Or, like, that's where I, like, developed a lot of it was in the process of doing, of doing comics, which I started doing in college and subsequently afterwards and, you know, developed into my comic Gene and Scott. Um, where sold I, out. Sold out. <laughs> <laughs> where I, you know, where I did, um, where I did a, a lot of development in pacing. Yeah. I do have to say, like, I still want to write comic books and, like, in my 20s when I wrote amateur comic books and I would, like, hire... I used to have like a prison artist do comics. This was a long That's time so ago. That's so fucking cool. Yeah, but it was. Sorry to sound so vice. <laughs> no, no, That's no, no, so no. Cool. I, I loved the control because I love, it was, you got to like be God basically. I mean, I know this actually is not how <laughs> comic book writers are supposed to operate. Comic book writers really are supposed to be like, this is what I want to happen. I trust you artists to do what Unless you're Alan Moore. Exactly. Yeah. And I kind of took like, I was like, Page one, panel five is a like direct Dutch shot of this person's face, yes. and we want this. Sh- and I like I got off on that because it was like you've you've read Alan Moore's like scripts before. Oh, they're terrifying. They're they're, the, they're like screeds. I, I don't know how any it's artist a full can keep up block with them. of text. Yeah. describing every fucking detail of every goddamn drawing. <sighs> I mean, but that's. Yeah. I mean, my issue with Alan Moore. I find his stuff hard to enjoy because it's so dense. It's because so there's, dense. It, it's it doesn't to me like even Watchmen doesn't really work as a comic book because there's so much text. It's just like I know. Ooh, like you, we need to. This needs to breathe. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, I I too I understand what you mean with with comics. Like they really, you can't go over if you have twenty pages. It has to happen in twenty pages. If you have three pages, like 
this has to happen, basically. You can't go over time. The, tri- the trick for me with with comics is, like, figuring out how to create time because you cannot control the speed at which someone reads and you right. cannot control... So you have to... How do you create a rhythm? Because, co- like, comedy is so rhythm-based yeah. and so, you know, so whatever, timing-based. So how do you create those beats where you can let something process before you hit them with, like, the punchline, you know? So a lot of times in my comics, I I, I never, I would never use, I would never use thought bubbles. Mm. Um, I would just use, like, facial expressions without text so that you could read into what that person was feeling mm. in that moment to create a beat and then, like, hit people with, like, the next line mm-hmm. to sort of create a more, like, a more cinematic experience, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so all of that is to say, yeah, I'm very, I'm very, f- like, pacing-focused. And I, I mean, you know, Uncanny X-Men is known as kind of, like, the most soap operatic comic book ever because, like... Uncanny X-Men was so cinematic and there are are always these twist endings and like Mm -hmm. the transitions from one character to another, they'd like overlay a character's text onto like the next character's panel to like, so yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting that like you're, uh, obviously Scott and Jean is a big thing for you because like when I think about like Phoenix comics, they're the most dramatically paced. Mm -hmm. So that's, I love that. Yeah. Um, Now that you have the new show, have you made any, like, have you changed it or uh, you refined it in any way? It changed a little bit between, so I've, right now I've performed it two times. Okay. And it changed a little bit in between the two times. I I had, I changed, like, the ending, or, like, I changed one bit, like, I basically, like, changed half of it um, entirely. And then I've made little tweaks here and there. And also when I take it on the road, I may change the um the non-scripted bits the bits right. where i just sort of like rant right cuz yeah or i yeah i don't know there's there's some stuff that is also a little bit like new yorky and i don't know whether to keep it new yorky or to adapt it i think keep it cuz okay. i think that's like what people like I, I think, think it's kind of charming. People, I think it's yeah. kind of charming. Yeah. So I don't mean to put you on the spot with this. This okay. is like purely advice because I just booked another date for my solo show in March. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm really excited and like that'll be great. But I am going through this phase of like the first show I like really had – I really wanted to prove to myself I could do it. Uh-huh. And then I had an image of in my head of like, okay, on the night of I'm going to be in the duplex green room and I'll know I'll have done it and that's kind of all I want and the rest is all icing on the cake. And it was. Yeah. And now I'm trying to figure out like, okay, well, what do I want out of this the next time? You know, mm. like what do I want to get out of it? And it's scary you it's to, beca- because something that I'm terrified of is this thing becoming stale. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? I mean – I think it just tends to change. I mean, you look at, like, Julio Torres, and, like, he did his solo show before, you know, before it was, like, this HBO special. He did his solo show, My Favorite Shapes, many, many times, including every day for a month in Edinburgh. So, 
And yet, like the final product that is like on HBO feels incredibly fresh. Right. So something to remember is that even if you've heard it a million times, not everybody else has. Yeah, and you're yeah. and like what you were saying, I think about control earlier is a huge part of it, which is like I don't need to know how what I'm going to get out of this or how like my approach is going to change or how it's going to evolve. Like I just need to take it in and like be present for it rather than mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. you're right. Like I, I it it doesn't have to have this like predictable um end game always for me. I can just be in it to be in it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you had that interview with, like, Alex English that Mm. was really inspiring because he talked a lot about um, sticking with stand-up for the joy of, like, the process of doing it, you know? So, and I think about, and I think about that a lot, like, I think in any artistic career, especially in show business, it can be so, like, end game. Mercenary. Yeah, and it can be so, like, like achievement based totally. or something uh you know and like maybe maybe the sex shouldn't be about the orgasm maybe it's about the <laughs> finding the love in the process or right. something so you know like for instance i do this monthly show with joe called get real where we have comedians dub over movie clips live and he and i do character bits in between every every set um and we don't make i mean until very recently, we made zero money off of it. Right. And only did we just now start to make a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of money off of it. And frankly, if I was able to live off of that show, I would because the process of writing it and the process of collaborating on it with Joe and the process of performing it is so fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, like, I think I think there is... I think we tend to throw that away a lot, like... Like oh yeah 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 enjoy yeah enjoy the art making yeah yeah whatever no, but like you have to remember that like this is your only life you know so it's like you better fucking enjoy what you're doing or if you're not enjoying what you're doing then but you need some, but you need to be doing that thing to sustain you then like find then you, like use whatever time you have to f- to feel fulfilled and to feel <laughs> appreciation for your life it is scary like I. <sighs> Because there are a lot of people that are in this game that are more successful than me on paper. But I also believe that a lot of those people are probably not as as happy. I'm actually in a place right now where I feel pretty happy with the things that I'm doing. I yes. love doing So Fascinating, the So Fascinating podcast, even though it's incredibly infrequent and like all over the place, whatever. I love, I kind of love how messy it is. Yeah, I love enjoy. doing, I love doing get real yes um and i really enjoy doing this solo show too i like you know and and i like doing stand-up and you're you do release a lot of cartoons and i do really i you know i could do more i feel like i can do a lot more no but but they're you have a consistent like they are consistent and they're like they are what they are and they're they're like i want to make a book out of those yes are there any literary publishers listening to this right now? I have a lot of comments. Yeah. It would make a really, really cute little gifty coffee table book. I think so, too. Yeah. Oh, and I would just love to see 
because your your use of color is so rich. Like oh, to see those like on a nice fucking glossy like matted mm, page. Mm, Ooh. Mm, mm. Yeah, no. A big Toshin book. Toshin. Maybe 45 inches by 36 inches. Tom of Finland. The yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But the big dick book. I do think about, like, that happens I a lot with people those. writing pilots where they're just like, and the pilot's going to go here and I'm going to get it. And it's like, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. Like, it gets so I just, yeah, I just, I keep I trying it. to imagine myself, like, what happens when I achieve X, Y, and Z? What, you know, I know I want to get. Lot, you know, X, Y, and Z or whatever, but, like, what what happens when I get there? Then what? You know? When I was in L.A., I mean, this was a long time ago, and I don't mean to sound like I'm above anything because I literally am, like, two months behind on rent, but <laughs> when I was in L.A., someone in my writing group, I remember, I was, like, 24 or 23, someone in my writing group got a job. First yeah. one of us to get a job, everyone was so excited for her. What was the job? Writer's assistant on the NBC Eva Longoria show. That ran for one season. And I just remember they were... Are you trying to make me cry right now? I know. Now? Yeah. Everyone in the group was so jealous of her. And I was like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, come, come on. Is this... Right. Like, something's not adding up here. And I remember, like, what got me to leave is, like, I, I had an interview to be a PA on Jessica Jones. And I they brought me to the Disney lot for the interview and the interview, I don't know if you've had these sorts of general meetings where they treat it like you're meeting with your rabbi before you get married. You have like – you talk forever. It's like the most like deep conversation. Then you leave the room and you're like, what the fuck Why did that? I just give this person a part of myself? Yeah. yeah. And, and of course I didn't get the job. And I remember when I was at the Disney lot, I was like, if I don't get this, I'm leaving L.A. Because I, I just had this Is that feeling- what made you leave L.A.? Uh, there were a lot of things, and right after that, my apartment um, blew up. Can you imagine? Oh God! I know. It got bought basically, and they offered us. They were like, "We will give you four thousand dollars to leave," and I was like, "Okay, bye." You said okay. Why didn't you say seven thousand? Oh, because I'm a fucking idiot. Oh. I think that's been well established. My issues with yeah. money, but like, it was. I was like, "That's enough to leave. I'm out." But I just remember that feeling of like, "This can't be as good as it gets." Like, mm-hmm. getting. In or whatever can't be – there's got to be something else. And, of course, it took me a long, long, long time to, like, get any sense of mm-hmm. that. And yeah. I don't mean to come yeah. off as sounding, like, superior because I am I think I'm, like, No, I think, anywhere, I think that's a good, but... like, macro view is – because, yeah, realistically, it's sort of, like – I think we have this idea that, like – it's about what those things symbolize, mm-hmm. right? It's, like – like, oh, a writing job. Oh, that symbolizes, like, stability, success, money, um, you know, like, the ability to, like, freedom. Right. The freedom to, like, you know, move on from there. You know, it's like, I think a lot of, you know, this, a lot of these things can seem like springboards to another thing. And, you know, and, and maybe a lot of times they are. Um, of course. But I think a lot of times they can also be, like, really grueling, soul-sucking things, especially when they reveal themselves to not be what you hoped they would be. It was nice doing the solo show because it just, I didn't know what it was. It wasn't yeah. something I ever thought I would do. Yeah. And it, for me, it felt like it didn't fit into any box and there's no like real trajectory for it. So it was just nice to like do a thing that was like a joy. So I get what you're saying. I love being in that space. Yeah. And there is a negotiation. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Janet Jackson. Okay. 
Um, what do you want to know? No. <laughs> no, I, okay. I, I was like, I was working out yesterday and I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, I have to tell David about this, which is that I have this like, I don't think I've talked about this like on recording at all, but like I have this, this Janet Jackson playlist that is deranged, but so incredible and basically I want to have a I want to eventually I will never do this but I want to have a party where I make people listen to this and it is every single Janet Jackson interlude played in order from shortest to longest whoa that's fucking nuts it's the most insane thing you can listen to (laughs) it's so good and it just escalates yeah yeah my favorite, I like Janet Jackson is amazing for so many reasons, not least of all because her records are like 50 tracks long and like mm-hmm. 75% of it is just like her just being like, hey, Diane, can you get me a coffee? <laughs> uh, I love to spend time alone. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, this, I know, her interludes are so fantastic. Or like, like, Miyoko, uh, you know, play. <laughs> you know, know. Play, play my favorite song. Mary J. Blige stole that. But yeah. Oh my God. Something that I love about Mary... What is the thing with Mary J. Blige and like always being back? You know? I know. You know, I kind of think that So Fascinating is a little bit like Mary J. Blige and that it's always like, Mary J. is back! <laughs> it's like, where did you go? Or it's like, you're always back, <laughs> you know? I know. No, you're right. She's like these last she spends ju- yeah. She spends just like, enough time. Okay. She spends just enough time away to be back. You know? You're right. And so Mary's like, is always bad. back. Yeah. She, Mary has like been back for like 25 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, every single album. You're right. Yeah. And there's always like a drama I didn't know about. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry that happened. Like, Did you... Do you remember a couple years ago where she formally announced what dancery was? No, I didn't know that. As it turns out, it was her, what she thought, she thought that's how dance soiree was like pronounced or something. Or like, that's what she thought the phrase was, dancery. So like the song is like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's supposed to be like in this dancery yeah in this dance soiree is what it's supposed to be oh, apparently okay. and I'm like you didn't have to say that everybody yeah. was like it's dancery and that is what it is and we are all going off in this dancery that we is love so it. like JK Rowling tweeting and being like actually Voldemort was trans yes and it's like yeah, okay it is. thank you for yeah. that yeah. yeah you don't have to do that that's fine yeah. Mary like you know, she can't. Yeah, you're right. She always has to kind of come back and literalize things. Unless <laughs> Janet, Janet is. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what. What, what is there Janet even? What is there like, even to say? Like, as like a gay guy talking about Janet Jackson, I just wanted to tell you about that playlist. Basically, but Janet, I love that you love her because like my Janet fa- oh. has. No, 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 go for it. I was just gonna say my favorite interlude of hers is, I forget which. I think it might be on Demita Joe, which is like her most psychotic album, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Um, It's, like, so prancy, prancy, kitty cat. But, like, (laughs) you know, like, anyway, but she has this track that's called The Islands, and I almost, can we play it? Can you, or, like, can you edit it in? Basically, she's just, like, it's this track where she's, like, there's, like, like, birds in the background and, like, 
you can hear rolling waves, and she's just like, the islands, Anguilla. I love the islands. I love the beach, the sand. The islands. And then like, and then there's like a lot of empty space in it. And then towards the end, she goes, and I love curling up with a good book and my baby. And then it just like cuts off and like in the album, it just cuts into like a, like a kind of like hard hitting track. (laughs) And it's like the the transition is pure mania. (laughs) And because Janet, she's, even in this, like, she's trying to be, like, a regular, um, like, she's, like, well, she's so sweet, obviously, but she's, this is, you like, are right. her grasping it, at humanity kind yes, of. And yes, yes, like, yes, that is exactly what it is. It is. It's, like, her, it's her, like, cosplaying normalcy. Exactly. I think about that with Bette Midler a lot because I'm, like, yeah. you're not. Um, with us, basically. Ben, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I worship her, but like yeah. being human, if you watch Bette Midler act in yeah. literally, I mean, I was watching Big Business recently and I was like, why are her eyes? Big are- Business is so major. I it's just saw it for the first time. Wait, that's, that's the one where she has. The, she and the, Lily Tomlin yes, play yes, two yes, sets yes. of twins. Two sets of twins. Crazy. It's cuckoo. Yeah. She can't like do a scene like a normal person. And Janet's similar where it's like she's so larger than life. She's so kind of divine. And then she's like, but wait, I can be a girl next door. Like I'm going to do this interlude called The Islands. It's yeah. Like, and it's like it's there is the camp thing in your definition of camp where it's like this kind of tragic, earnest attempt. Yeah. At like yeah. a failed, a failed attempt. Exactly. Yeah. And like that's what makes it triumphant. Yeah, that's what makes it. I thought you said that's what makes it trans. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, no, but it is what kind of like makes it queer. You know, it is yes. like there is this sort of like, like, yeah, of course we're like cosplaying normalcy like all the time right. or whatever, right? So like, there's something so like, like, like yes, go off trying to like make this seem normal. Yes, you know, but it's like it's like what? I mean. Maybe she maybe she does regularly just go to Anguilla, curl up on the sand with a good book and her baby, but like, but like, <laughs> but it seems like maybe that's like a sort of Instagrammy like idea of life, you know? I mean, this is obviously just came up pre Instagram, but you know, so yeah, yeah. Um, she's incredible. I yeah. want to talk about um, your style evolution because you have the most beautiful. Even at Love Prism last week, I was like, God, Max is the only elegant person here. That's really, really sweet. I consider myself incredibly inelegant. Okay. Well, I mean, I think you're able to push inelegance to elegance. Oh, Like, I think that's kind of the point. Okay. Something I did want to talk about, because I always associate this with you, certainly because of Get Real, but, like... You, to me, are one of the people who fully understands one of the eras that's most influential to me, which is the, like, Mad TV, Mm -hmm. Anna Nicole era. Mm -hmm. And, like, Mm -hmm. I know it's, it's, to me, it's in the DNA of every gay comedian I've ever seen. Okay. And you're one of the only ones where I'm like, he actually appreciates this thing that had this huge influence on every, like, gay person alive. But, like, you're able to, No one's allowed to talk about it anymore. It's crazy. (laughs) I'm just like, this thing happened. I know. I know. Mad TV was absolutely humongous for me. Mm. It was like, it's probably the, one of the most prime influences on my comedy. Mm. 
there is, of course, tons of material on that show that does that does not live up at all. It's like incredibly <laughs> some incredibly offensive stuff, right? Of course, a lot of like, like <laughs> you may want to bleep this out, but like, you know, a lot of like. I won't even. I won't say this. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, Wait. <laughs> TV, but, be, like, but certain certain people that like that like should not like that stuff in conversation love it. You know, right? People that we know. Right. So anyway, all of that is to say, what I want to say about Mad TV in particular is that Mad TV, even though it had a ton of offensive material by today's standards, and you know, probably by that period standards as well. It utilized people of color and women way more than SNL did. Um, It was like, and it honored, (laughs) I think it honored like their, um, I think it honored the cast members in a much more fruitful way. I agree. And I think it really allowed a lot of those people to blossom. I mean, so many of the Mad TV folks like you know some of them have like bigger careers than others you know certainly Alex Borstein is like one of the more successful ones but she hung in there for a while yeah 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 but like so many of those people are like still kicking still kicking and so and so well highlighted by that show and there's something I never watched SNL growing up I just never watched it right um it it was too long um the sketches went on too long I didn't understand the games. I thought the characters were really flat. Mm-hmm. And um, for a young kid, I was like, "This is like this is like too <laughs> political or something." Yeah. Or I was like, "Or oh, it's too social," and I was like, "What is this responding to? I don't get this." All the Whatever. writers went to Harvard. Yeah. Right. And and like watching Mad TV, I was like, "Oh, I get it. This character is ridiculous, and I'm watching a per- and I'm watching an insane person be insane, exactly. and that's fucking awesome." You know exactly, and it was a little yeah. more like all that in in that mm. way for me, which was also a huge thing for me growing up. I was like from day. W- I remember seeing the first episode of All That at my extraordinarily wealthy friend's house in um, Bel Air, and amazing, yeah, like in like you know in her in one of her like TV dens, yeah, the screening you know? room, yeah. yeah, the screening room, yeah. the big screen. Anyway, um, and like from that moment, just being like, okay, this is what my life is about, you know. And similarly, like, as I got older watching Mad TV, and, yeah, Mad TV was, it was it's just so, like, it's so rich. <laughs> like, right. it's so, so rich. And, I mean, so of course. And, and uh, in a yeah. similar way to, like, to me, like, Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. Or, like, the scary movies where it's, like, yes. it's, it's like, really horny. It's, like, literally, yes. like, tripping kind yes. of. Yes, totally. And, like, it, it's way, it goes way too far, but there is this sense of, like, I don't need it explained to me. It wasn't, I don't need it literalized. Yeah. It just is. It funny. also, it all, yeah. That's the thing is that it also, unlike SNL, it was not afraid to get fucking gross. Exactly. So like, there was like plenty of sketches where, like, I remember in particular, there's like a Will Sass, Will Sasso series of sketches where he's imitating the Home Improvement format and he keeps like sawing off limbs and squirting blood all over the set and it's hysterical and disgusting and you would never see that kind of stuff on SNL (laughs) you know but it's like but it allowed but it allowed 
<laughs> them to be totally ridiculous. Also, also something that Mad TV did that SNL failed to do a lot is like really fucking good physical comedy. SNL had it with like Chris Farley and you know plenty of other people throughout the years, but for the most part, it's like relatively rigid. Mad TV was like very loosey goosey. Yeah, the one I rewatch every single month is the Alias sketch where yes, Mo yes, with Mo Collins. Oh my and god! And it's literally like <gasps> Mo Collins just like kicking people in the face yeah, and, and they screaming like, and crying, screaming, and her they pull yeah. her teeth out. Yeah, yes. and like she's gushing blood, and yeah. it's like, I guess I think when we were teens and like the Judd Apatow thing started and like humor got turned into this like hyper kind of drab cerebral I mean it claims to be cerebral like everything was just like yeah heady and I really miss like that era of like you see it and it's funny yeah yeah people just like dry heaving in like huge wigs yeah exactly that's hysterical and like Nicole Sullivan with huge fake tits huge fake in every sketch for no reason and it I was like Amazon Amazon Hauntress's AD (laughs) you've seen that right (laughs) that is like the bet that sketch that series of sketches is blows my fucking mind like (laughs) just like Deborah Wilson trying to execute a line but her boobs keep popping out is like yeah, this is so, like, vaudeville, and, like, yeah, that's another thing, is that it was, like, yeah, it was fucking, like, vaudeville. Exactly. And, like, I'm seeing that now, which I love, of just, like, I think about, like, and it's definitely very present and absolutely fabulous, because, like, yeah. the re- Peter and I are always doing AbFab voice, because yeah. a lot of, I mean, AbFab is brilliant for a million reasons, but a lot of the reason why AbFab is great is because a lot of it is, like, Jennifer Saunders, like, picking up cups and putting yes. them down and just, like, making noises. Oh, I mean, that show is literally her just, like, like worried in a room. Yeah. You know? she's She just, like, she's just, like, finding things to do in her room to, like, regain some sense of, some semblance of control, you know, and and just being, like, completely deranged and pushing people around. It's, that, yes. that show is... Brilliant. It's so ahead of its time. Brilliant. And like I do think I remember like when I when I saw the first season of Shrill, I remember when I when Patty Harrison came on screen, I was yeah. like, oh Patty's doing it. Of yes. Patty just like Patty's just doing being funny no matter what the writing. Like yes. she's literally just like yes. moving her body like yes. in time and space. I know, I yeah. know. Yeah, Patty does Patty has it. <laughs> yeah. Patty absolutely has it. Yeah, not like I the re- get real, like there is that thing with you and Joe of like it's so it's not you trying to be like, look how witty we are. It's you like doing satire that is like also deranged and like we try to keep it a little bit we try to keep it psycho exactly and like we kind of need that which i struggle with doing in my own stuff and that i'm and i'm very very slowly getting over that i find now that like so my stand-up started off as being like very one-linery very mitch hedberg Mm -hmm. just sort of like like joke after joke after joke after joke, and I and in some ways I think I actually used to like get better reactions out of my sets than I do now at times. Interesting, but I'm but I I think I'm sort of in a transitional space right now with my general standup, where I think what I'm realizing is that like even the, I have a lot of these like from you know my solo show is all these like pre-written bits that are very like written and very controlled and very cerebral or whatever, 
but it's broken up with these like sort of psycho rants. Yeah. And I find that like I think people really enjoy when I just sort of go off the rails Absolutely. a little bit. Absolutely. And so and so there is something about like being controlled and then like breaking that control and then just like coming back to it that I think is just sort of reflective of like humanity and the way that we interact with our world and like suppressing ourselves in order to function and then releasing it when we can't stand it anymore. You know, I think like a reason that you and Joe are such a good match is because like I think a lot of what Joe does that works is like he's like. Um, clearly something's wrong, so he'll, mm-hmm. I'm going to, like, do this sweet persona that's, like, so obviously shattered. And, like, yes. and you, I've always thought, is the inverse. And, like, one of the things I've always enjoyed most, is like, especially on So Fascinating, is, like, when you're, like, um, when you are, like, everything is not okay, actually. It's quite abject, and I'm going to fucking kill myself if I have to, like, it, whenever you get on something, it's so nice where you're like, no, actually, I don't want to pretend that everything's okay, and, like, then you go, like, you double down, and I do love the idea that you could lose control with that. People people think it's funny to it's be really angry. It's funny. People, it's funny. It is, it's funny to be angry, especially about small things, because I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think a lot of people can relate to just like suddenly being angry about like one thing and not realizing that it's like connected to this whole other tapestry of anxieties and frustrations that is triggering your anger in that small moment. So like, yeah, of course the fact that like, you know, this like LaCroix is the wrong flavor is like gonna send me off the fucking walls, you know, like send me off the fucking walls. You know, it's like that kind of stuff makes, I think is like, is like relatable because it is an extrapolation or like a heightening of what people experience on a day-to-day basis. Right. Like, I can't believe that bitch <laughs> just nudged me with her shoulder on the train. Who does she think she is, that fucking loser, you know? She's and no, you know in my family, like, everything always has to have a cherry on top and, like, everything always has to have, like, a happy twist. So it's like, yeah, I've been thinking about killing myself lately, but I guess it's all going to be okay. And I like it uh-huh. is really liberating to be like, it's not going to be okay. Everything is on fucking And fire. actually, the cherry is the problem. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and actually, while we're at it, the cherry's expired. <laughs> like, it is... It yeah. is kind of delicious. And there is a Jewish aspect to it of, like... I don't know. Like, my grandmother who's a Holocaust survivor, her sense of humor is so fucking good because, like, her line that she always says in Hebrew is nireh, which is we will see. So it'll literally be like, Safta, we'll see you tomorrow night for dinner. We will see. We'll see. Like, it's so just like... No, no, don't tell. Or, or she'll always yeah. say "ma yihia," which is what will be, what will be of us. So, I'll, like, yeah. it's so just like doom is always yes. impending, yeah. and there it, it is kind of like a blast to just like embrace abject destruction. Yeah, I, that's the kind of stuff that I think people like. That I. It, <laughs> That is, like, a tool of comedy that I've used throughout my life. Like, yeah, like, saying bye to my friends in high school, you know, and then being like, see you tomorrow. And then I'm like, unless we all die, you know, or whatever, you know, and walking away. Yeah, it's it's the same, it's the same thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so when is the tour happening? The tour is... <laughs> I don't know. No, it's starting... <laughs> so the first show is at the Fringe Art 
Blue Heaven Comedy Festival on February 8th, Saturday, February 8th. That's in a week. And that's in Los Angeles. No, that is in Philadelphia. Gorgeous. Then I go to L.A. and I have two shows at Junior High on February 10th, Monday, February 10th. The first one is sold out, um, but the 10 p.m. is still available. And then I fly to Chicago and I have a show at The Hideout on 215. I love that one of them sold out. That's so like it sold out quick. Yeah. It's so nice. But it makes I you know, I'm from LA, so right. obviously like everybody just turned out. Okay, can I ask you something? Yeah, yeah. I always have yeah, complete, yeah, let's get it. Uh, uh, I have agita anytime when people go to LA and they like do a post on Instagram, like, I'll be in LA these dates. I, because yeah, for me, okay. my like thing when I go home mm-hmm. or when I go back to LA is like mm-hmm. Do not tell anyone you're here. Uh-huh. You do yeah. not want anyone to know you're here. You don't want to give anyone your time. Like, tell three people that you're here and let me, maybe— re- But Let me tell you what happens for okay. me. Because other comedians do that. It's And then they get shows. Okay. I do that. No shows. But people that I haven't seen in three years are like, I didn't know you were coming. Let's hang out. And then it's like— It's my worst nightmare. I, 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 I know. I, I, that, I, it's like, and it's like, guess what? I, I absolutely want. I absolutely want to see that person. I'm there for three and a half days. It's not happening, babe. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I have I to see my family when I'm there. I have to see my friends Lauren and Jackie. It, and and then and then, and then I'm and then guess what? My flight is in three hours. I know. I know. I know. This is why I'm so secret. So whenever I see like well-adjusted people doing those posts, I'm like. Are you going to be okay? What's going to happen to you when you? Because that is my worst fear. It's good. Well, thankfully they just like don't know people there, right? Maybe. 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 I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And and this is my. I had a whole. I had a whole life in LA before. Right. A, a lifetime. Most right. of my life has been in Los Angeles. <laughs> right. So yeah, of course I have. So the the seven o'clock is sold out, but the ten o'clock is still. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, gorgeous. And uh, you just unveiled the Bernie merchandise. That's right. So I'm donating all of the proceeds to the Bernie campaign. Okay. Um, people are finally, because I released it so recently, the first wave of shipments is finally arriving and people are like posting it and it looks really good. It does look really yeah. good. I wish those websites didn't shave so much of the like production costs off. I know. Like, so I don't get to donate the full amount that you are like buying those things for, but you know what? I it, it's actually still a pretty sizable amount. Oh, so that's good. Great. Okay. Yeah. Where can people follow you? At uh, Max Wittert on Instagram. At Wax Mittert on Twitter. Gorgeous. Yeah, baby. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this was terribly unfunny and uninteresting. Really? This to me can is you one edit of the, the best like, ones oh. I've ever. I think we've ever done. What? The oh. last few I've recorded, I've. Basically, sometimes I learned this on Six Feet Under. There's this term called parallel play, which is like when you put two toddlers in a playpen and they're not actually playing with each other. They're yes. just playing with themselves. Was that like one of Brenda's parents saying that? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh, my God. Brenda's mother <sighs> is Fuck, Margaret. fucking awful. Yeah. She's she's absolutely incredible. Yes. And yes. Rewatching Six Feet Under. You're rewatching it like now? Again, again. Yeah. What are you trying to do to yourself? Actually, it's the only thing that got me through my solo show. Really? It's it's literally like taking fucking like just sticking a needle Opium. in and getting the, the the corrupted blood out of my body. It's so Interesting. healing. I and watched it for the first time when I was like twenty two when I was living mm. in Oakland and like watched it every single day for like weeks and mm-hmm. was just fully depressed for the entire time and could not stop. That last episode had me 
sobbing, sobbing, yeah. sobbing for the in every second of the episode. Yeah. I was just crying, crying, <clears throat> taking breaks only to drink more water so that I could make more tears. Yeah, it. it and every time I've rewatched it, I like I do get something new, and like mm. it does. It's just crazy because I think like I really think Ryan Murphy. Everything Ryan Murphy's done, he thinks he's doing Six Feet Under, and he not he is not. And like the reason I thought of him is like the character of Margaret Brenda. Who mom, did make that show? Alan Ball. Who what does he make? True Blood, which is it. it's not Six Feet Under. <laughs> well, but Mo Collins is on that, right? She, isn't she? Mo Collins is wait, on six, isn't she? Uh, or no? Or is, no, she's on. She's on Six Feet. No, no, she no. has an amazing scene. Wait, she does. I don't remember that. Michelle Trachtenberg plays a pop star that Keith is, like, bodyguarding, and Mo Collins is, like, this booker, and Mo Collins is like, I just want you to know, I think you're a little bitch, and I will never let my daughters listen to your music again. <laughs> like, Mo Collins always does those roles. She is amazing. Can I tell you something? After the Maria Bamford uh, show got mm. ended, um, Mo Collins made a really beautiful and sad and kind of tragic post about, like, like how great that show was to work on. And she said something in it, which was like, I don't know if I'll like work again after this or something to that effect. And in that moment, I was like, I have to get successful so that I can get Mo Collins more work. I know. I know. That is specifically like a gay, that is like when gay men are, good for the world is when we're like going to take care of these women. I know. Like I know. Stephanie Weir. Stephanie Weir. I will, I will bankroll that. Stephanie Weir. She's dead. I don't okay. Care. Stephanie Weir run for president so that I can make you merch and give you money. Because she's also one like she had one scene on Weeds like season six and it's devastatingly funny and it's like how. Stephanie Weir. Okay. Given I stopped watching Mad TV like like she, like she was like the last addition to Mad TV right. where, that I stuck with, and then there was sort of like a like you know stuff that ch- that changed later on where I stopped watching. Yeah, yeah. But Stephanie Weir was like the crown, the crowning jewel of of my Her Mad TV experience. Um, Dot, I think Dot was- is phenomenal. <laughs> but you know, okay, her and her Anna Nicole, which we didn't talk about Anna Nicole. God damn it! Huge. Wait, how much do we ha- do we have to like? I'm down to keep going. What time is it right now? It's three thirty-four. Okay, perfect. We're gonna talk for another few minutes. Great. Okay. Her Anna Nicole Smith was absolutely transcendent. Of course, looking back on it, it's incredibly dark. Anna That's Nicole, what was that? That's why it's good. I know. Also, I just want to mention Anna Nicole Smith is, for better or for worse, to thank for the current state of Reality. America. Yeah. And because let me tell you something, she was the first. And I'm bold. I'm, I'm going to say this fully. Probably it's totally wrong. But in my eyes, she had the first. She had the first reality show that was literally just following someone around in their absolutely like nothing life, which allowed for Paris Hilton, which allowed for Kim Kardashian, absolutely. which allowed for everything that exists. Absolutely. Now for Instagram. <laughs> for Instagram. Anna Nicole Smith was so fucking pivotal to me. And yes, initially, and okay, similar to Bjork and similar to Joanna Newsom, started off very ironically and quickly grew into like 
a deep appreciation for this person's existence. Anna Nicole is shit on so, so much and really unreasonably by people. Um, she is one of the only ones similar. And Janet has this too, where she's like, actually, this is real. Actually, I am feeling this. Actually, like, sh- there's a valiance to Anna Nicole where she was like, I I think she's one of the only honest ones who was ever there. She was Did like, he, no, this is you. These yes. cameras are following me around, good yeah. or bad. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, parts of her show were literally scripted, but of they course. were so obvious because she's a, such a bad actress, right? That it didn't matter. Like and we knew, she we was, knew. We no could one was selling tell. anything off of her. You know, she's not what the Kardashians right. are, which is like hyper branded. Yeah, no, she, nothing was being sold. No, off. no one wanted absolutely. to touch her. Exactly. Exactly. Which makes her so fucking pure. There, I can't. I think we might have talked about this on our episode of so fascinating. Mm-hmm. But there is this line that she says that is like very like Tumblr-y famous. Yeah. Where she's yeah. Where she says like something to the effect of like people say you know shit happens and then you die, but that's not what happens. It's really shit happens and then you live, and that's yeah. the fucked up thing or yeah. something. You know, and it's like oh babe, yeah, oh babe, oh, devastating. Babe, babe. And she, Mad yeah. TV, I felt with her, with Ashley Simpson, and with Jean Benet Ramsey, Mad TV would go to places SNL would never go, which Absolutely is like, yeah. we, like with Ashley Simpson, they would do all these jokes about like basically how Mr. Simpson is like molesting them. With Jean Benet Ramsey's parents, those were my favorite, which is like they'd always have, they'd always have like celebrity Hollywood squares and they'd cut to Jean Benet Ramsey's parents and they're just like standing there wide eyed, like because they're guilty. Yes, yes. And with, um, with, uh, Anna Nicole, there was this mad, Stephanie Weir would do this like, is she gonna die? Oh my God. Her whole thing was like, her whole thing was like, Telling her son like I love you more than all the than all the peers in the me, all the peers in my me, in my me, me, mommy, me, in my me, 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 my mommy, me, me, me. She's like more. Than, yeah, it was, it's like I love more than all the stars, all the stars in the sky, and all the peers in the me, in the me, mommy, me. With Dot, it was like this narrative. God, Michael McDonald is so good, but it was this narrative of like. So good. I used to see him at this gay bar, O bar, when I used to sneak in when I was nineteen no. in L.A. Yeah. How bizarre. I know. How surreal. Yeah. Obar, I didn't know that. Obar. Yeah, I've had various, like, interactions with, like, different people in Mad TV. Like, I used to take a sword fighting class with Will Sasso <laughs> when I was a teenager. <laughs> a dandy. Yeah. Yeah, like, with Dot, the narrative was, like, instead of, like, oh, you have a special needs child and you have to love them, her dad was always, like, trying to get rid of Fully her. abusive and throwing her in the garbage. <laughs> And because she was so sweet and innocent and, like, loving, yeah. it made it twice as funny. Yeah. Because it was, like, she's so earnest. Which is something that they, I feel like they do in anime all the time, mm-hmm. which is just, like, shitting all over the sweet little yes. thing. You know, and, like, th- yeah. Yes. Like, just, th- like, smashing a hamster with a sledgehammer. You know, it's, like. Did you ever watch, like, Tenchi Muyo? Yeah, absolutely. Fuck. Absolutely. Sexual awakening for me Huge is in that show. Huge for me, too. Oh, my God. Huge. That show is so hot. God. As as like a twelve year old, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That you're right. I'm thinking about a lot of those. Another shows. Stephanie Weir character that is like so 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 pivotal to me, and that was really difficult to find online for a while. I don't even know the name of the character. It's such a strange sketch for Mad TV because the 
she addresses the audience directly as a medium. And she says, <laughs> elderly medium who's addressing specific people in the audience. And she's, and she's like, she, and the whole thing is just that she's a terrible, terrible psychic. <laughs> so she's just like, now there's someone in your life whose name begins with J. And they're just like, no. And she's like, M. <laughs> and they're like, no. And she's like, S. And they're like, I think, yeah. And she's like, S, yes, S. You know, and so she, it's just this terrible, terrible, worthless, broken Gibberish. woman. Yes. And it's, and like, oh my, like, what is more, what is more gay? And like, right. what is more appealing to non literalistic, yeah. gibberish kind of, yeah, that. Yeah. Um, just a tragic, a tragic, broken, broken woman <laughs> yeah, reaching out. I, I do want, there, there are a lot of actresses like that where I'm like, I, I have to sustain her. I know, I know. While the other faggots are like clacking off for Meryl Streep, I like, yeah, I have to like lift up some of these women. I have to tell you, I have absolutely nothing for Meryl Streep. I have nothing. I am dry. I also have, you know who else I have nothing for is Nicole Kidman. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Okay. I could keep listing things but I'll, until I step on a mine. Because Nicole Kidman is like, has taken so many swings into bad taste. I thought she might appeal to you a little bit more because she's so bizarre. Mm. And like, she's also one in the Janet way who thinks she's a, she can be like, see, I'm married to Keith Urban. I'm a right. normal American girl. Right, right, like, right. Babe, I think, I think I just, I think I already had Sharon Stone, so I didn't need Nicole Kidman. You know what I mean? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, major. Yeah, major. We've already talked. We've yeah, already yeah, gone yeah. over. Please listen show. to yeah. today's uh, episode of So Fascinating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Life, yeah. Uh, where we talk <laughs> yeah. about. So- okay. Max. Okay. Wigger. I'm so sorry. Yeah. No. No. Okay, no. We can go. This was uh, one of my all-time favorite episodes. Oh, thank you, David. We, this you're was such a not sweetheart. parallel play. This felt like a really interesting conversation, and you gave me a lot. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I also want to just take a moment to appreciate you and watching your show. That was like so genuine and heartfelt and vulnerable, and I appreciate you for um, being so uh, present and heartfelt with people in an atmosphere that can easily turn uh, cynical and distant. Mm. So thank, thank you. you so much for um, being around for people to thank you to to talk. Yeah. Thank you, Max. Okay, I love you. Love you, too. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five-star rating on iTunes. Write a glowing encomium. Share it on your Instagram stories. Email it to your Aunt Joan. And help make this series bigger and better with every episode. Thank you for listening, and let's grow together. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.